Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Asher Agency, a full-service partner to clients nationwide. Asher's services include media planning, creative, digital, and social, website development, public relations, printing and fulfillment, and more. Anything you need to connect with your prospects and tell your story. To learn more, visit asheragency.com or contact us at hello at asheragency.com. My guest is Gabriel Tucker. Gabriel, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Happy to be here. I am very happy to have you as a coworker now for a month. How mm. is that going? How has your Asher experience been so far? It's been fantastic. Everyone's so friendly and so kind. Um, you know, they, I, I know where the bathroom is on my first day, That's which good. was really important. That's good. Yeah. Um, a rigorous, so. a rigorous orientation <laughs> process includes a tour of where the bathrooms are. Yes. Of course. But on top of that, just everyone has just been a huge font of information about clients, about like the process that everyone's following. So it's it's really been great to just kind of step in in day one and just immediately be embraced like a full member of the team. I've loved it. Well, awesome. And people were very eager for you to start. Mm. Um, number one, because it was great experience in the interview, loved learning about you, but also because we had such a dire need for your position, mm. which we will get into in just a little bit. But I want to start a little bit with your career path um, and tell us what you were thinking about early on and where that took you and, and whether you pivoted from there or kept down the same path. Because you grew up Quad Cities area, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of time, especially like early in school and everything in the Quad Cities after I moved out of like the Peoria area. Yeah. So so, so what was young Gabriel thinking about in terms of here's what I might want to do with the rest of my life? Oh, See, now young Gabriel, when he entered college, would have told you that he wanted to be an audio engineer. Okay. Yeah. And that was that was a big focus. Like music has always been big in my yeah. life. Yeah. And as I started developing and looking at schools and looking at, you know, what would the coursework look like, it became very clear to me that it's possible to be in music. It's possible to be in a career that is exciting and fun. Yeah. Without having maybe some of the constraints that come with having such a niche skill set mm -hmm. or such a niche mm -hmm. degree set. Yeah. And so for me, I decided, okay, well, how can I pursue things that I'm passionate about and yeah. still have a degree set that makes me flexible if for whatever reason I don't find a job in that mm -hmm. particular field? Mm -hmm. And so that sent me down the world of political science, anthropology, and marketing. Okay. Yeah. Right? Because like I was yeah. like, if you can't figure out one thing, do all of it. Yeah, for sure. And they were very – it's very interesting how those three kinds of schools interplay with each other okay. and the information that they provide. And so that led me into the world of social media because mm -hmm. I started working with musicians. Yeah. I started working with – bands on campus, campus yeah. clubs and things like that. And I was like, wow, this is actually really fun. This is mm -hmm. interesting because not only am I doing something I'm really passionate about, yeah. which is storytelling, which is um, helping artists do their thing. Mm -hmm. I also have all this other diversity of experience that I can I can tap into with all these other worlds that maybe I had never really dove, dove into before. Yeah. And now I can express a new interest myself through these people who are telling me their stories. Yeah. So, so where does the... Uh, the the interest in music come from you and I talked you know a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. about a story um, with your dad I won't give too much away because it's your story to tell but was that handed down to you from your family where did you first um, get that interest and and lead you down the path that you've taken yeah it's uh, very generational yeah. um, and um, it's almost as generational as the mustache too um, I have a long history <laughs> of of great mustaches in our family. Um, a long but, twisted, <laughs> a long twist, yeah, yes. very curly. History. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, my grandfather grew up playing, you know, in yeah. um, like little groups with his, his buddies around the campfire and cousins mm -hmm. and that kind of a thing. 
And a very, very long, very fun, interesting story short is um, one day he walked into town with the family horse. Yeah. And that same afternoon, he walked out of town with a new guitar. Yeah. And no horse. Yeah. Um, and the, ho- and the horse is the equivalent of like the life savings, right? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. like literally, because like they yeah. used that. It was, it was a farm ho- yeah. horse. Like it, it did all the things. And so he came back. Everyone was very upset with him. But we now are very happy yeah. because, like, I'm I'm assuming that horse is probably not pulling plows at this point. <laughs> but that guitar is definitely playable. Yeah. And um, so that he taught my dad to play. Uh, my dad played with him around the campfire, you know, with family and in bands and stuff. And then my dad taught me to play. Yeah. And so that was a, the same kind of bond we had. We played in bands together for years and years, um, all through high school and college. Every once in a while now, I still go back and play with them. So Yeah, well, that's amazing. That's amazing. So so you've got these tracks where you've got a music track and then you're, you're on a marketing track. So where does that lead you post-college in terms of your, your first your first jobs and, and how you entered the working world? Definitely. So um, immediately after school, throughout school, I had started interning. I'd started doing part-time and that yep. kind of a thing. And so there was an agency in Rock Island that I had started working with and mm-hmm. I had interned there and then started part-time my senior year. And as I'm approaching graduation, I'm we were starting to talk about like what my trajectory would look like. And yeah. I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be free after graduation full time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does that look like? Hint, and they're hint, like, nudge, nudge. Yeah. Right, very yeah. much so. Yeah. And, um, they were like, well, how would you like to stay on and keep yeah. doing what you're doing? And I was like, I would love to do that. And so I, my job there was really to kind of do a lot of multi-hat things as you mm-hmm. would expect in a smaller mm-hmm. agency. Yeah. But the real big focus on that was to kind of grow their social media organic program. Mm-hmm. They didn't really have someone who dedicated their time yeah. and their, ex, almost their exclusive focus to that. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to kind of come into clients that they'd already managed doing digital ads, traditional yep. buys, and help them kind of like fill out that last corner on their, on their marketing yeah. know, chart. Yeah. So, so you do, you work for the agency for a time. Do you go right from there to Sweetwater or there are stops along the way? Um, no, that, that was pretty much, I went from that agency into working with Sweetwater. All right. So for those who are unfamiliar and, and most people listening to the podcast will know who Sweetwater is, but for those who are unfamiliar, it is the largest distributor of, of gear, music gear in the world. Do I have any of that right? Uh, <laughs> They're the largest online distributor of music instruments and pro audio gear in North America. Okay. So a bunch much like everything else for the rest of this podcast, better said by Gabe. So how do you find Sweetwater or do they find you? And, and what does that work look like? Well, it's kind of funny. It comes back to my dad. Yeah. Uh, so my, my dad actually, he was just, he's a, we've both been longtime customers of mm-hmm. Sweetwater when I was at this, um, I, I worked with the school um, at their internet radio program. Yeah. And then we bought a lot of gear to help support that program. And so we had long customer relationships yeah. with them. And one day my dad was just kind of idly scrolling through their careers page and he said, they're hiring for web development. That's exactly what you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, sure. Let's let's just check that out. The work I and, do is sometimes on the web. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And so I saw that they had a position open for, in their social media yeah. team, and I was like, well, that's very exciting. Like, yeah. Let's jump on that. Mm-hmm. And even though it worked out very well, I will say one of my bigger regrets going into that was waiting, not to actually apply for it. Mm. I I sat on it a little bit, yeah. and that could have been a huge trajectory change mm-hmm. for me. And so um, when I did apply for it, um, we went through other conversations and they eventually accepted me on to help uh, grow their social media. So so why the delay? Was that imposter syndrome or were there other things that got in the way that prevented you from submitting? I think it was a little bit of imposter syndrome. It was kind of like Sweetwater's well-known in yeah, the industry sure. and they're, they're much loved. And being a customer sometimes... 
Uh, and I think you could feel this with any organization, really. Like if you're a customer of that organization mm -hmm. for a long time, it can sometimes feel a bit monolithic. It can yeah. feel a bit, like, like you said, imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like, am I really Who ready am for I this big to... step? Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, it was one of those learning processes where we're all figuring this out together. Yeah. And it was very much like that there as, as well. And so once I got there, you know, it, it did feel, it felt right like we were doing things together and that, yeah. that was really great. Well, that's amazing. So what was some of the work that you did at Sweetwater? What did that consist of during the time you were there? Sure. So, and it was very wide ranging. So that went everything from like the very, you know, manual grunt work at the beginning where it's like we're scheduling, posting content and we're, we're just in the platforms, writing things down and yeah. working on it. And then eventually that scaled up to helping grow the social media team. And yep. we started looking at adding interns to the team over the summers. We added a social media coordinator who is absolutely amazing at what she does. Um, we embedded a graphic designer on the team. And so it was really great to kind of help see that team grow. And then eventually we started working into a new program that we called um, Strategic Content. And really what that was at its core was we were bringing in multi-point um, mm -hmm. opportunities to the company. So it wasn't just social media, it was almost omni-channel campaigns. Mm -hmm. So we would have a vendor or a well-known artist that would say, hey, we, you know, we have a cool story to yep. tell. We would go out and we would almost capture like mini documentaries, kind of like if you've seen Chef's Table on mm -hmm. Netflix, it, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. And they turned into these kind of like just vignettes of artists in their space. And it was yeah. really cool to be able to interact with these really highly creative people and have them walk through their creative process and be able to understand like, how does Post Malone put on his show every night mm -hmm. and put on such a huge production every night um, and meet the people who are behind the scenes? Because you, you go to a concert and you see the artists on stage and you're like, wow, that sounded amazing. Mm -hmm. But it's really fascinating to be able to like meet those people yeah. who are behind the scenes and make it work. Yeah. So so I, 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 I'm a reluctant to ask this question because I don't want you to run away from Asher, but <laughs> you're, you're working in an environment where music is obviously at the core. Mm -hmm. You're doing work that's fun and exciting that you love. Why did you decide to make a change? <laughs> well, it's it's fascinating. And um, this is something that I told Kara in our very first coffee yeah. conversation was, yeah. um, and and I think that this was informed by that, that regret that I mentioned, that almost a week of not having applied for that job, is it is good to be hungry. Mm -hmm. It is good to be mm -hmm. interested. It is good yep. to be looking for the next cool thing, right? Mm -hmm. And Asher was an amazing opportunity in that regard because it's something that I'm familiar with in the sense I've worked in agencies, yep. I've helped agencies with social media programs, but it was also brand new. It's a completely different client set, right? And the sharpening one's creative wit, if you will, um, like working with people that don't necessarily, you know, agree with you 100% yep. or don't have the same creative direction as you 100% yep. or maybe you're in a completely different industry that you're not familiar with, I think is really important. And kind of like, Leaning on that music analogy a little bit, I, I talk a lot to people about playing up mm -hmm. and something that's important in music is working with individuals who are better than you, mm -hmm. like objectively just have more skill yeah. set or seat yeah. time. And when you do that, it forces you to be a better player. Mm -hmm. It forces you to try new techniques, to yeah. do something differently. Like myself, like I listen to a lot of like metal and more aggressive music, but when I played with my dad, I was playing country. Yeah completely different genres, yeah. but a lot of applicable skills that cross the line, you would never realize that had not taken that opportunity. Yeah. And so this was the same kind of way. It's how do I do something that I love, which is storytelling, which is social media, mm -hmm. which is helping, yeah. you know, I'm very passionate about small businesses. I'm very passionate about helping people access the best tools available to them. Mm -hmm. That is kind of, I think, was the drawing line that brought me into music, you know, yeah. and, and this is the same kind of thing, helping 
business owners, education entities, um, you know, professional agencies, helping them tell their story in a new yep. and exciting way and forcing me to sharpen my creative tools. So that way I'm not just focusing on one thing that I happen to know really well because I've happened to have a really great history yep. with it. It forces you to like, how do I make the most of what I have available to me? How can I maximize all of these tools that are available and maybe use them in a unique, different way that I wouldn't have thought of or the client wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, we are thrilled that you made that decision. So let's talk about what it means to be the social media manager at Asher Agency. Mm -hmm. How have you described the work you do to people who have asked you about your new job? How have you described Asher? How have you described your role here? Varied, which is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've described it as a lot of it is kind of it's bridge building. Mm -hmm. And so it's even if it's within the building, building bridges between the creative team and the account executives or building bridges between um, clients and new tools that maybe they haven't uh, experienced before. Or they, yeah. they know they have, but they don't know how to use them. Yeah. And that's been great. I, I have loved that so much. It's very collaborative to everyone's you know, asking, how do you do things? How should we be doing things? And it's a back yeah. and forth conversation. I'm like, how, how have you done this historically? Mm -hmm. What's the best way to do this internally right now? Yeah. Um, are there pain points that I can help alleviate? How can I be the, the best utility to the team and the people around me? Yeah. Um, and so that's just been so exciting. It, like I said at the beginning, it's, it's like a warm embrace. Everyone's just been so friendly. And so I, I describe it very much as um, a collaborative learning experience. Yeah. So, so how are you staying on top of everything that's changing <laughs> in social media? You know, I, I'll, ad, I'll admit this, you and I have talked about this, but you know, when social first became a thing, mm -hmm. um, when people were using the word social media and knew what it meant, um, I was still early enough in my career that I said, oh, this is going to kind of change everything. Mm -hmm. I need to master all of it and set about that path. And about two weeks later gave up and said, there's way too much to know. And that was back when when it was the big four. It was Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And now, obviously, things have grown exponentially. You have Twitter changing its identity. You have threads here and maybe gone. You have <laughs> all the changes that happen behind the scenes with the management of these tools. How do you manage that, knowing that you're helping not only Asher tell its story, not only communicating with clients, but also helping clients tell their story? How do you deal with all that stuff? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I have a little hard drive in the back of my head. I unplug every night. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, it, it really, it's it, it's a variety of things. Um, part of it is staying, like just using the platforms all the time. And I will admit that I probably use them more than the average person should mm -hmm. or healthfully use them. Mm -hmm. But you just have to be present sometimes just to like witness what is happening, what conversation is being had, yep. where is it being had, how is it being had? Because a lot of times you'll see very similar conversations happening on various social media programs, mm -hmm. various social media um, outlets, yeah. but the way that it's presented is completely different. Short form video versus blog posts, you know, like Substack is very long form heavy, but the same thing that would work really well there would never work great on Twitter or X or something like that. Yeah. So part of it is just being there participating in it. Yeah. Another big chunk of it is being part of professional groups in those communities. Mm -hmm. So not just being like the casual user, but also like interacting with other individuals yeah. who've used these tools for some time, or maybe they're asking new questions that, you know, like, hey, this is my first week in. How do I do this? And then you have a bunch of people who are very seasoned veterans go, you know what? I've never thought to do yeah. that before. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of really great Facebook groups, especially for social media um, professionals. Matt Navarra is a huge source of information as well. Mm -hmm. He's very popular kind of um, you'll see a lot of news stations bring him on to kind of yeah. talk about the latest and greatest in social media or 
the implication of new changes on businesses or common users and that kind of a thing. Yeah. So that's another chunk of it. And I think one of the bigger ones too, and this is probably the least, um, you know, crazy exciting part of it is, but you have to do a lot of just like research mm-hmm. and experimentation and reading yep. all of like, they produce white papers, they produce yep. documentation that says, Hey, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And so reading through that is probably the least exciting part of the whole thing. But then you get to translate that into like full on experimentation and saying like, we're going to try a few things. We aren't positive how this is going to turn out. We can, based on the data available to us, right? Because everything is based on data and informed yeah. insights. Yeah. So based on all this data that we have, based on the tools that we have used historically, and based on what the new trajectory laid out to us by the platform itself is, we have a pretty good inkling that this is this is what our outcome is going to be. And then trying that and saying, okay, that worked, this didn't. How do we change one variable or as few variables as possible to kind of ascertain what really brought us the success here? And then it's almost like putting the puzzle together. So now you've got all these pieces, you're bridging all these gaps between uh, what's new, what has been done. And you, and really you just kind of have to do that just at a varying pace, depending on what you're testing. Because sometimes a trend is in and out in a week yeah, and you don't sure. have time to do like a full analysis. Yeah. Is this the right direction for our brand? So yeah. you have to just do it. Yeah. Um, and is, that's- Is Getty going to sue us for using Kevin James? <laughs> well, exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like that's a perfect yeah. example yeah. of it because you <laughs> see a lot of those kinds of things. And I some of like the first real memes or the real popular memes that we know um, are all like Getty image. Memes. Yeah. You know, like they're all like, ri- it's like yeah. ripped from people and oh, you're like, sure. I really hope I don't get sued using yeah. this. Well, it just moves so fast. It's, it does. it's hard to stop and think, is this, is this good for the long term? So, um, you know, I, I'm going to ask you a question that this is the, this is the, the learning part of the Asher marketing podcast, yeah. but I, I've read a lot, especially recently about the mental health implications mm-hmm. of, of social media. Definitely. And, and you've disclosed you're someone who spends, <laughs> you know, more time than the average person. You, you strike me as a very positive person, but mm-hmm. how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the need to get away from social media, but you having sort of this occupational hazard of having <laughs> to spend more time than most on social media? How do you manage that part of it? That's a great question. Um, I think the tools that I use is I actually split accounts. Mm-hmm. And so I have professional accounts mm-hmm. and I have testing accounts mm-hmm. and I have me accounts that mm-hmm. are for me. Mm-hmm. And I think if you go looking for something and it's kind of the confirmation bias, right? If you yeah. are looking for a space or you are looking for a kind of conversation, you will find it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of very interesting content out there on social media that can spark a lot of vitriol yeah, or can for sure. be a little inappropriate or whatnot. But I think part of what I've done is I've created a feed for myself that is all just positive stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just, it focuses on happy stories that are happening in the world. Yeah. They focus on passions. I have my, you know, I've got a, it's just like barbecue and guitars and cars and yeah. like just things that I love, right. Yeah. That I'm just looking at and I can just say like, yeah, that, that's fun. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's like when I'm on the social media, but I also try to set aside very specific amounts of time for myself yeah. where I decide I'm just going to be disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, there is nothing that's going to happen in the next hour yeah. that is going to absolutely change the entire trajectory of my entire life, yeah. unless for some reason Meta decides to close the doors. <laughs> yeah, um, which which is probably not going to happen. So, like yeah. you know, like just just literally just like setting aside specific time that you were just not online, mm-hmm. and knowing that that is okay because you have set aside specific time to be online and do your research and yep. to do the other things as well. Yeah, and and to know that 
you're, you're never going to finish the internet. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, it yeah. is humanly impossible at this point for someone to see every single yeah, video. And sure. it's on YouTube. And it's been like that for some time. Absolutely, now. absolutely. So, yeah. you know, like, time is finite. You yeah. have so many hours in a day to do things. So choose to spend those on the things that really do reinforce what you find valuable in your life, whether it's having a uh, a, a heated or charged debate with somebody like that is healthy in a certain context in a certain way, or if it's watching, you know, cat and puppy videos, you yeah. know, like what, what sparks joy to you is what's important because there is a million different opportunities out there that, that for content for you to ingest. And so, um, choosing that real estate wisely. And I have a, I think a, a benefit of knowing the tools well, so I'm able to kind of curate my feed yeah. or train the algorithm a little bit more specifically. But taking advantage of some of those tools that really kind of like hone in on the positive stories because there are a lot of really amazing people yeah. out there doing really amazing work. And there are millions of posts like that. Yeah. Just as like there's millions of posts that are maybe less savory. Yeah. And so like seek out the positivity and in in a very nebulous sense, it will find you. Yeah. But also in a more like scientific sense, like the more that you're interacting with that positive content, the more that content will be served to you by the algorithm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and some of it is just, you know, <clears throat> remembering that it's not a switch you flip. It's not mm -hmm. like I wake up on Wednesday and say, I'm only going to consume positive content and for mm -hmm. the rest of my life, this is how it shall be. It's reminding yourself of that all the time mm -hmm. and saying, what, do I, what is this for? How is this um, useful in my life? Whether that's to inform what you're doing for clients, whether that's to inform your own learning, whether that's for entertainment. But really focusing on that and being intentional when you're on the platforms using it mm -hmm. in that way. So, so Gabe, what are some of the things you've gotten involved with here at Asher so far? What's some of the work that, that you've been doing? Sure. So I've done quite a bit. So it's again, like everything from like manually posting things for clients, yeah. um, all the way up to, we've written several full scale, you know, like 1920 page strategy documents yeah. for either a new client or an existing client who is looking to update what they're trying to do. And it's it's been really interesting to see just kind of like the scope of work that mm -hmm. Asher does and yeah. the scope of work that is now available to Asher with um, kind of having this new niche carved out. And yeah. it's been really exciting. So like I've I've met with clients, we've gone off site, we've, um, like I said, producing the strategy documents, working on reporting for um, their channels, how they're performing month over month, year over year, those kinds of things. So it's really kind of the full, like if you think social media manager in a very nebulous sense, it's very much like the turnkey, the full course meal kind of thing. Yeah. So, so when you think about 20,000 foot level in the environment today, what, what is most important for brands and businesses to think about when it comes to social media? Like what are, mm -hmm. here's, here's why I asked this question is, you know, I, I hear people talking about, well, we've got this hashtag strategy for this. And, you know, they're talking about, well, you know, we got to post exactly this number of times. And some of that is absolutely true. But I think what gets lost in that is the big picture, like the foundational important stuff. So what what are some of the tried and true things that you believe brands, businesses should be focused on to make good use of social media, to, to serve their audiences and ultimately reach whatever their goals are? Sure. That's a great question. I think I'll answer it with something that might feel a little cliche and yep. that's authenticity. Mm -hmm. And it feels cliche because everybody talks about it, but no one talks about what that means. They talk about it very inauthentically. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, just, just be authentic yeah. and just do your thing. And I think that like the, the idea that being authentic and just do your thing, um, 
aren't necessarily the same thing. Mm, mm. I think that for a lot of companies, what they lose in it, they think being authentic is value propositions, mm -hmm. or they think being authentic is beating the client over their customer over the head with this is who we are and this is what we do. Mm -hmm. And especially in social media, like there, there's a space for that kind of messaging. Yep. There are places where that messaging works really well. But in organic social media specifically, what people are doing there isn't to be sold at. It's to mm -hmm. join conversations. Yep. It's to join communities. It's to feel connected. It's to be entertained. Social yep. media is an entertainment vessel for a lot of people. Yep. They spend hours on it. So do things that tell your brand story but do things in a way that is exciting to people who would watch this as if it wasn't an advertisement at all. Mm -hmm. The biggest compliment I think I have ever gotten from a user who had no idea who I was, they were just commenting on a post, was that was a really good ad. Yeah. You know, because they they will know it's a business posting social media. It's an advertisement for the business yeah. or their product or their client. They already understand that. Mm -hmm. They follow you most likely, which is why they're seeing it they kind of already have an idea of who you are. Yeah. So rather than beat them over the head with specifically just value propositions, show them that in action. Mm -hmm. If something that you're really proud of is the the meticulous level of quality assurance that you have in a process, mm -hmm. don't tell them, first it goes to John, and then John looks it over, and then it goes to Beth, and then Beth does this. Like That, that works in a process map to run your business. Mm -hmm. Show John doing the thing. Yeah. Like show John taking care packing that box. Yeah. Well, one of the things that um, really impressed me, so there's a video um, that I, I sort of ham-handedly referenced mm -hmm. earlier where um, there's a guitar that's part of your family mm -hmm. that you have refurbished and give to your dad as a Father's Day mm -hmm. gift. It's a great story. What, what I love about it is there's never a – um, you know, a, a, any graphics on the screen that says Sweetwater does guitar restoration. Want to learn more? Go here. Mm -hmm. It's kind of implied that that's what the story is about, but it focuses on the people involved and how mm -hmm. important that moment is to them. And, and I think that gets at the spirit of what you're talking about. You know, my my belief, and feel free to feel free to argue against this because you're the brains of the operation. But I I believe that what's changed maybe most about the the new environment is that when I was a kid, the vast majority of mass media messages that I consumed were scripted. They were voiced by paid talent. It was Hollywood production values. It was magazines. It was movies. It was TV. And that was the mass media. Mm -hmm. And today, you still have that stuff. But now, the majority of what people are consuming has a lot of rough edges. It's mm -hmm. not scripted talent. It's not uh, scripted copy and it's not Hollywood production values, it's stuff from their family and friends. Mm -hmm. So if it is too polished, if it is too scripted, it stands out in the wrong way because people have mm -hmm. really good BS meters. Right. So they see it and they won't even give it a chance. It's like, that's trying to sell me something. I'm going to go over here where my friends are. Mm -hmm. it, do you? Is that true in your experience? And again, feel free to say no. And if so, how can brands bridge that gap? Mm -hmm, for sure. And I, I think it very, it very much is like that. Um, and you even see that in the, what the algorithms are requesting from brands to yep. post. Um, you, you're seeing a lot of algorithms that are saying, we, we don't want to see repurposed content anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they will hit you for using an ad in the same, in, in this, like the exact same yeah. asset for an ad that you are in your organic yeah. creative. Sorry, brands, by the way. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. So, like sorry. Like, and, yeah. and there are ways that you can modify them without having a huge lift mm -hmm. on your organization to like, to satisfy the yeah. algorithmic sure. need. But like you said, humans have a very uh, precise BS meter now, mm -hmm. and they have been experiencing a type of messaging for a really long time. 
And so I think sometimes you do not want to abandon your brand standards. You do not want to abandon your brand voice. Those are important things that should always be at the top of your mind when you're creating anything, content, advertisement, whatever it is. But that being said, don't let the good be Mm -hmm. the end, or the, I'm sorry, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, Yeah. right? Don't let forcing something to look a certain way, it has to be 4K, 60 frames per second, be the reason why you don't make that really good post because Mm -hmm. there are some fantastic content out there. There's some brands that are doing some really interesting stuff. Everybody likes to look at um, uh, Duolingo, right? Because they've got their, their owl. Those are not, they're not running around with crazy expensive cameras in crazy expensive studios making, you know, Ken Burns level content. Um, So I I think that it's really important for, for businesses to kind of focus in on what are we able to do today? Mm Mm-hmm. What are we able to focus on and make different today with the tools that we have available and do it in a way that when we're finished, everyone's actually kind of excited and proud of the work too. Cause I have found that the people in the room, mm-hmm. when they walk away saying like, that was really fun. That was really interesting. That work, that feeling shows in their work. That's what and resonates that, with the audience. Yeah. It's exactly what resonates with the yeah. audience. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you look ahead, when you say, okay, where are we going with all this stuff? And I know I'm asking you very difficult questions today, Gabe, <laughs> so thanks for being here. But when you look ahead with, you know, some of the changes that AI is bringing, some, mm-hmm. of, the, some of the changes that we're seeing in the algorithms, just, you know, the, the shifts in the way platforms are grabbing market share from each other and changing. Where do you see things going? And I know that's a big question, but mm-hmm. but what are some of the things you're kind of preparing for as the next shift in in the world of social? Yeah, I think AI is definitely a big thing. It's very top of mind for when either AI or large language models yep. or, you know, all those kinds of things, um, because it's going to speed up the, I, at least I think it will speed up the rate of trends mm-hmm. because now it is so easy to get involved. You don't have to necessarily create a meme using a template anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't have to necessarily wait for someone to say something goofy mm-hmm. to make it happen. Mm-hmm. You can just prompt a generator yeah. and it will give you the exact thing that you want. And so I think we're going to see an acceleration of what is already starting to happen where trends are shorter and shorter. There are always going to be these macro level commonalities that we see, right? With short form video or with, um, you know, uh, blog style platforms like a Twitter or a threads where it's like character yep. refined or whatever. Um, so I think what we're going to see is we're going to see trends speeding up really fast. Mm-hmm. We're going to see a big proliferation of creators scrambling to make extremely unique content, right? Like yeah. Mr. Beast kind of, that, and he's a cliche to talk about because he's kind of like a, a monolithic yeah, person in the space, sure. but Mr. Beast broke the mold by, this isn't about, you know, I'm going to do an ad read for you, mm-hmm. but that ad read isn't, and so-and-so has the best VPN service. It's, hey, I'm going to give away X number of dollars from this ad yeah. that I made to make this video about a topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're going to see people getting scrappy like that. We're like, what is the most wild, never been seen before kind of thing? And people are going to pursue that kind of content. And I think some creators are going to pursue that to their own detriment mm-hmm. um, because they're going to be chasing, um, they're going to be chasing a certain fad maybe mm-hmm. and lose their own branding in the process or lose their own voice in the process. But we're also going to see a lot of really savvy marketers, a lot of really savvy content creators or what they call like social hackers coming in with some really brilliant new ways of approaching things that we've already considered to have been like there and done, you know, kind of a thing. Um, This, it'll be a weird reference, but 
um, trading card games is a really mm -hmm. good example of mm -hmm. that. Uh, you wouldn't think that opening a package of trading cards yeah. would be an exciting thing yeah. on TV. Like the whole point of doing yeah. it is like, I buy the cards, I open them. I'm very excited that I opened them and I got whatever yeah. card I was looking for. People get excited about that online. But then you have some creators who are coming and like, how do I make a video out of that? How do I craft a team based on the cards that are related in these two, mm -hmm. in this brand world, right? You see that a lot in Pokemon, for example. Mm -hmm. And so I have a feeling that we're going to see folks really taking advantage of AI to help write scripts that are better and punchier, yeah. captions that are better and punchier. Um, but I, my hope is that it doesn't turn into something that takes away the creative side yeah. well, of social you, media. You, you can't be lazy with AI or you'll mm -hmm. end up with content that's worse than it would yes. have been if you just did it yourself. Exactly. Um, and I think that's one of the big lessons of the last year or so is people thought, oh, this is going to take away the work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do that. It might make it faster to get started. It might make it easier to do iterations of an original model, mm -hmm. but it, it, it doesn't take away the effort. It just shifts where you put your time. Oh, it, it certainly does. And I think a lot of people also forget too that something like a chat GPT mm -hmm. is derivative. Yeah. Chat GPT is not generating original content yeah. ideas or yeah. anything like that. So everything that everyone is prompting it with, all of the information from all of humanity that is on the internet, right? Yeah. That's where it's sourcing it from. And so you're not going to get objectively original ideas. You'll get yeah. like maybe a, a slightly newer take on something. Mm -hmm. You might get a rewording of Romeo and Juliet for the millionth time. Yeah. But yeah, like a AI does not, will not replace creatives. Mm -hmm. um, I think AI will automate some of the more grunt work associated with it. But um, I'm, I'm really hoping to see people take advantage of it in, in a really highly creative way that takes a core good idea and makes it better rather than replacing the need of a person to generate said idea. Yeah. Well, it, it almost makes it, it, well, I won't know say almost, it does make the skills that AI can't replicate all the more important. Yes. Um, empathy and creativity and all those things. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I think it is a force for good by maybe that much, <laughs> um, but it's all in how you use it. Right. Very much. Just like anything else. Um, Gabe, let's pivot to a couple quick hit questions. Sure. You've done, you know, a lot of really good work in a, in a relatively short amount of time. What have you learned in all that about what it takes to build a fulfilling, successful career? What's mm -hmm. your best career advice that you would give to someone aspiring for a career in marketing or for that matter, any career? Sure. I would say don't be afraid to be quiet. Mm -hmm. A lot of people talk about um, being aggressive, being... Uh, like owning a space. And I think it's important to walk in a room and your presence be felt. But I think that it's also very, very important to to listen to the people around you first yeah. and to listen to what is being said and how it's being said. Because if you want to contribute in a valuable way, it's very difficult to do that with no context. Mm -hmm. Like how many of us have received a project that are like, hey, just, just do that for me real quick. And you're like, yeah. well, who are we talking to? Why are we talking to them? What are we even talking about to these folks? And I mm -hmm. think that that is a really important thing for young, especially young professionals yeah. too. As you're fostering your career, like, you know, you're playing up. You are you are entering a new space. You are potentially entry level or um, entering a new organization or a new role. It is really important to listen. And that's something that I'm experiencing right now entering Asher, right? Is, you know, I've, I've had experience doing things with some very big names, doing some very big yeah. campaigns. Yeah. But all of that doesn't mean anything if I'm just going to come in here and just clear the table and just say, this is the way you should do it. And be like, yeah. well, 
maybe they've considered doing it that way. Maybe yeah. they've tried that and there's a reason they're not doing it. Maybe there's a better way to do it than what you've been doing, regardless of scope and scale. Yeah. And so listening to those around you, understanding, you know, even just reading their body language, right? And then just taking that moment to go, yeah. And then respond. Yeah. I, I, I have to tell you very genuinely, I've seen that in action with you, mm-hmm. um, you know, because, you know, I've, I've seen you sit in rooms with, we have a lot of smart people here, mm-hmm. right? I've seen you sit in rooms and I can almost see behind your eyes that you have an idea, but you have the discipline to kind of hold back and <clears throat> bring it up. And I mean this very genuinely, bring it up at the right time. And, and I'll be honest, that's something I didn't have early in my career. Sometimes I don't even have it now <laughs> that, you know, I need to prove myself and I need to show that I know. But I, I really, really genuinely enjoy watching you withhold and kind of let the conversation develop and then jump in in a way that's complementary, not competitive mm-hmm. to the conversation, which is is super mature for someone of any age, but certainly <laughs> someone young in their career. So I, I think that's advice well-spoken, but even better observed from across the room. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, it, yeah, it's – you want to learn from those around you. And and so I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I think that, you know, kind of you, you said it really well that um, – it, there's a, there's a layer of, of discipline that one needs to have interacting and the timing of the information that you're delivering can make or break that information. Yeah. Um, because if you have, you know, it's, it's like telling a joke, right? If you have fantastic comedic timing, even the most mundane phrase can be pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you have the worst timing, it doesn't matter how funny you are. No one's going to laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think there's, there's a couple other things in there that are important. One is knowing that if, if you have a good idea, you can wait and it's still going to be a good idea. (laughs) You know, if if people, if other people don't get there first, you're going to get your turn. Mm -hmm. And that's advice I've had to give myself Mm -hmm. to say, remember, if it's such gold that people need to hear it, just wait, Mm -hmm. it'll still be good later. Um, Haven't always followed that in practice. Um, The other thing too is, is, you know, one of the things that I know for sure is you could name drop a lot more than you do, <laughs> but that can be very off-putting. You know, yeah, it can, definitely, it can make people say, "Well, what's what? What is he trying to hide by dropping all these names?" So I I appreciate that. So good advice and 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 great job of modeling it. Um, the second one has to do with the the world of being a social media manager. Um, what do you think is the biggest myth and misconception about that, mm. or something that's maybe underappreciated? Sure. I think that there there is a perception because social media is so accessible. And I think that's one of the greatest things about it is that anyone really, if you have internet access, it doesn't matter if it's a phone or a tablet or desktop, you can get on social media and you can make content today. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful thing. But I think that also sometimes works against especially aspiring social media mm-hmm. professionals yeah. that, well, anyone can do it. Mm-hmm. And I think you also you see that in a lot of creative yeah. fields as well. You see that in graphic design. Yeah. You can see that with authors even. It's like not everyone can do what Tolkien did. For you sure. Know? For anyone sure. can write words down. But yeah. like that is a prolific amount of effort. And I think that in social media, there there are assumptions that, you know, like if you if you just do something, right? Like that's better than nothing or that just like any, like we just need somebody to post this. And I think that, you know, that having, having a presence is important, Mm -hmm. but I think having an informed presence and having folks that are really strong and that are able to channel and kind of, you don't want to funnel everything to social media. You want to filter things to social media. And so someone who can help filter 
the brand initiatives, the goals, what we're hoping to achieve as an organization in a professional way, in a way that makes sense on that social platform. And that voice is really important. And that's a really valuable skill that, um, you know, needs to be fostered and needs to be exercised, I think, before a lot. And I'm still working on it myself, right, um, to, to, to really refine that. And so I think that to any aspiring social media manager, you know, like know that your skills have value, mm-hmm. know that your experiences have value. Even if it's my freshman year of college, I managed the local dog club social media, mm-hmm. right? Like that still has value and seat time is important. Yeah, um, I think people really undervalue sometimes what seat time can do for you, especially, you know, I'm a little bit younger and my generation is very fast paced. Yeah, they, they're sure. very hungry. They want things to happen immediately. And that's something that I'm constantly training myself on is, you know, kind of to your point, like it's a good idea today. It'll probably still be a good idea tomorrow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, you know, take that time to really refine those skills and, and really hone in on them and understand how you can best be an amplifier for the things around you and not a competitor for it. And that will make you more valuable in a space where people think what you do maybe isn't super valuable because they'll understand that you can do complicated things for them Mm -hmm. in an uncomplicated way, or you can make something that's very sophisticated, like a multi-platform strategy around a blog or a con or a, um, a podcast like this. Yeah. And you can make that sound very simple. And so I think counteracting the, anyone can do that with some informed insights, Yeah, but without tipping your hat too far and saying, well, like I'm like, you know, like I know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. there, there's a balance there. And so I think that, yeah, like the, like the number one thing that works against social media managers or professionals is just this perception that, um, it's all foo-foo-y. There's no data behind it. And that, you know, just anyone can put a post up. So why not just hire literally anyone? Yeah. Well, and, and because most people's experience, their, their interactions with social media are generally social and fun. Mm-hmm. They think, oh, the job is only social and fun, which denigrates it a little bit. It's it, like, that's exactly. not hard work. They're just posting on social media. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're just having fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to dig in a little bit on something you said. I want to mm-hmm. make sure that that I understand it and that, that it has a chance to be heard. So I think mm-hmm. it's an important point. You mentioned that you don't funnel content to social media. You filter content. Did, mm-hmm. I, did I get that right? Yes. Can you, can you elaborate on that and, and explain what you mean by that? I, I think I, I see where you're going with that, mm-hmm. but I want to make sure it's clear. Definitely. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's almost like a management style too. Like you might even see a manager do this on Teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where rather than like you got news and mm-hmm. it's like, this is news that needs to be disseminated to the people around you, your audience, your social yeah. platforms. Um, if you just brain dump on them, mm-hmm. unless that is like explicitly your style, the way that people are expecting to receive information from you, that can be off-putting. Mm-hmm. That can be damaging to your message because then you might say one thing that completely derails the entire topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to say, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying about like value propositions, right? Like value propositions are important for your business, but just saying, hello, we have the cleanest water in all of town doesn't really have a tangible thing on your social audience specifically. And so taking that information saying, okay, I am on TikTok. TikTok, I know I have maybe three seconds to get someone's attention if I'm lucky. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to filter my information in such a way that I know that the first three seconds have exactly what I want people to know. If they only see that, they know that this is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of that content fills out around that, you know, and, and it adds information, but it doesn't over 
overpopulate it. You know, like make sure that you're having a conversation, you're speaking words in a way that makes sense to the people you're speaking to. Like um, you wouldn't have Albert Einstein coming to a fourth grade math class and then explaining theoretical physics to yeah, them. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's that same kind of way that's like, okay, I'm in this scenario, I'm in this space. What's the voice? How is How are people in the space actually communicating with each other? Because putting out a press release to the news media is very different than putting out a similar style press release to Reddit, yeah. right? Or like yeah. doing that kind of announcement. Yeah, and you'll get eaten alive if you put out oh, a- exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, and it's it's a combination of less formal, but more earnest, right? It, mm. is, it is not the formality that many of us grew up with in the business and even marketing environment, but more serious about what you do. Not mm. taking yourself too seriously, but showing people that you care and, and mm. showing them that through storytelling and through- repeating over and over again why this should matter to people like them. Exactly. Which is super hard to do in practice, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Yeah, show, don't tell is, yeah, the, is like 100%. the big thing there. 100%. So it goes back to some of the tenets of good storytelling, mm-hmm. really. So um, one last quick hit question for you, and this this probably will lead to a long answer, which is absolutely <laughs> encouraged. I'm good at those. So um, in terms of tools that you use that that help you get what is a very complex job done, what are one or two of the tools that are most important to you mm. that others might either reinforce, hey, I'm using the right tools or might benefit mm. others to hear about? Definitely. I think number one is having good data. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I talk a lot about my job isn't just making sure we have pretty posts. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a team of amazing graphic designers mm-hmm. who make sure that things look good yeah. and are strategically positioned in the right way, messaging wise and everything. Um so the other side of that is data-informed insights mm-hmm. and making sure that you have tools that are providing you data that's not only drillable, that you can dig into and understand what caused certain things to happen, mm-hmm. but also a tool that is nimble and a tool that is adapting to the changing landscape that you're on. Um, there's a variety of social media management tools yeah. out there. Um, some have varying degrees of reporting. And mm-hmm. I would argue that I would rather natively post yeah. And then get really good data from a management tool, then have a tool that does all of my posting for me, mm. and then maybe be shooting blind in the dark with data. Is that just because the the platforms are going to favor what's natively posted, or because you have more tools to work with when you natively post? Why is that? Well, uh, natively posting has a layer of benefit to it. Um, the platforms are always going to prefer you doing things on the platform. Yeah, and for sure. you, And we see that in limited API bridges that they put onto things mm. like a Hootsuite or a Sprout yeah. Social, Hey Orca, that kind of a thing. Um, so there, there's a little bit of that, but really more so like if I have, let's say I have a hundred dollars to spend mm-hmm. and I can either spend a hundred dollars on something that automates my posting schedule mm-hmm. or something that, um, brings in really good data. Mm-hmm. I would rather spend that money mm-hmm. on that good data because then I can go to a platform and I can schedule posts. Every platform at just about at this point has a way to schedule a post in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, just about every platform has a data center that you can come into and get consumer get insights, mm-hmm. but there are ones that are better about providing data to, um, you know, APIs or to your management tools. Scheduling, it's great. Yeah. That's nice. It's convenient. But I really want to, I want to know who is my audience. I want to know if I have a post that performs really well, I don't want to just know that, you know, on September 5th, this posted really well. Yeah. I want to understand, well, what else is happening around that post? Mm-hmm. I want to understand what did that do last year on the same day? Was, is it a seasonal thing? Is it a topical thing? Um, did we use a trend really well? Are there yeah. other things that people are talking about right now that are maybe relevant? So 
you know, if I'm a car manufacturer and an, another a competing, uh, competing car maker puts out a really popular post about a, a new green vehicle or a new mm -hmm. electric vehicle, I want to know about that because maybe that helps inform why this post also did really well about green technology or something like that. So it really is all about like drawing these like data points together. Um, I'd say the other tool that really keeps me up to date on everything is um, the like just like the newsrooms for mm -hmm. social platforms. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to give you information in a certain way. They're going to yep. they're going to tell you what they want you to know. Yeah. But that being said, reading in between the lines on some of those things, understanding the history of certain developments in the same area, you know, the creator studio is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, like when they talk about, we're going to make this thing great historically, I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know if I, if I definitely have seen some things like there's a lot of cool things happening there, but it also feels like there's some things that they're changing just for the sake of changing it. So yeah. I know that the trajectory there maybe doesn't have as much value for me as the trajectory in how they're using or delivering short form video mm -hmm. or how they're using or preferring us to deliver giveaways and mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. And so just reading through those newsrooms and being able to kind of have a quick sniff test to understand, like, is this really valuable information to me? Or is this just a, a press release about something that they developed? Yeah, well, and, and ultimately, uh, agree 100%. Uh, you know, you have to concede that the the content you're getting from the platforms is self-serving for the platform. Definitely. But one of the one of the ends to the to, that they're they're striving for is to get you to invest more on those platforms, time and dollars. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is to make it easier for you to use the platforms well. So if you educate people and they have success, they're going to spend more time on those platforms, mm -hmm. spend more money on those platforms. 100%. So yeah, pay attention to that stuff. Uh, outside of content news from the platforms themselves. How do you educate yourself? Where are you getting good information mm -hmm. about what's happening in the world of social, the world of marketing? What what funnels and filters are you mm -hmm. using to make sense of the world and, and get some good insights? Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, I think, mm -hmm. is a really great source of information. Um, I think his, his delivery is a little abrasive sometimes, uh, I will say. But uh, he um, has a network of uh, like websites and stuff that mm -hmm. that produce um, informational content around social media best practices. Yep. Um, I am I am living and dying on Hootsuite and Sprout social blogs. Mm -hmm. um, I absolutely love them. Yeah. Um, social media examiner. Yep. Um, like those kinds of like publications where they're really like news agencies specifically around social yep. media or digital marketing. Mm -hmm. Those have been huge for me um, because they take a lot of wild information. They distill it down into a pretty bite-sized package because they know like social media managers are probably the people that would be using social media the most. And so we're going to give them information that is very point specific, that yep. is very funneled, that is very concise and easy to understand. Um, so I'm, I'm living on those, but I also follow, it kind of goes back to like those multiple accounts that I have, right? I also have an account that like, I just, I follow as many different kinds of influencers that I can. I, you know, there's like a threshold that I look at maybe around one to 2 million, you know, subs mm -hmm. on maybe like a TikTok or an Instagram kind of thing. So they've got an established presence. They have consistent cadence and posting. They have a stake in being on the leading edge mm -hmm. of trends and things mm -hmm. like that, uh, following their channels. And just seeing what they're doing, because there's some great insights that I have found that work really well for musicians that I got from a barbecue company. Yeah, for sure. There are some really great insights that I've gotten for HVAC mm -hmm. that I learned from, you know, people that are maybe uh, uh, like they're making axes or mm -hmm. something like that, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it, there are seemingly unrelated worlds, but like just like living in that content and really like digging through 
less about like what what are they doing? Like, what are they like physically like entertaining me with? Like what, you know, frying something or dropping it at slow motion or whatever. And more so like, what's the trend that I'm seeing from this post to this post, from this creator to this creator that is really similar because yeah. there are themes. It's kind of like, there's overarching like meta themes, if you will not like meta the company, but like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that, that have stayed true in social media from its inception. Absolutely. And yeah. so like finding what is the new meta, if you mm -hmm. will, what is mm -hmm. the new pattern that is being developed that we have seen happen over the last maybe three or four months, right? Mm -hmm. And I do that by not only looking at the micro trends, right? Like every time there's a trend, like, okay, just taking note of that. Like, even mm -hmm. if it's a, not a physical note, but just taking note, okay, that was this kind of song, this kind of beat in yeah. the background yeah. that, okay, we're seeing a lot more of of pop beats here. Yeah. We're seeing a lot more of the Dumbao beat, um, you know, over here or we're seeing a lot more of people doing man on the street type content mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. Like seeing, okay, we're seeing a lot of that here in August. Will that be the same in October? Yeah. And then coming back in October and like, oh, yeah, it's the same or, oh, it's a little different now. Yeah. Well, and, and sometimes too, love that strategy. Another thing to look for is what's the opposite mm. of what's trending right now. You know, if every you know, by the time I get to that trend, maybe it's too late, but what, what could I learn from that mm -hmm. that kind of turns it on it on its head that might lead to a new insight? Mm -hmm. There was there was a documentary I was watching about the um, the son of Bill Veck, who is a famous former um, late baseball owner, and his son sort of his trials and tribulations owning minor league baseball teams. Mm, sure, and he had a night at the park that was no fans' night. This is this is pre-COVID when that actually happened <laughs> right. unexpectedly. But it's, you know, you're not allowed into the game. Mm -hmm. And they sold a ton of tickets for people to be in the parking lot. So, you know, just just a way of thinking. It's like, what what if we did the exact opposite of, you know, what would generally be a good idea? Mm -hmm. You can take that too far, of course. Oh, definitely. But what would what would be the opposite of it? But you have to be paying attention. Mm. Um, and, and the ultimate, I think it goes back to what you said earlier. The ultimate thing is knowing your audience as well as you can. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've got 10 more, if you get 10 extra minutes, I think the best investment in that time, and, and it's, it's data is great looking at the data, mm -hmm. but I think what you should be looking for in the data is what does this mean to my audience? Mm -hmm. What are they responding to? How are they responding to it? And what can I learn from that? And mm -hmm. knowing your audience better is always going to be to me, the best investment you can make. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. And yeah, it's kind of like, not everyone can be Wendy's, yeah. right? So yeah. rather than yeah. try to replicate what Wendy's is doing, like, cause like being a snarky brand on social media can really work against you. Mm -hmm. um, but it really works in, in Wendy's favor. And so like, okay, so Wendy's has done something different. Yep. They've done something exciting and new. Yep. Um, Duolingo has done something slightly different and exciting and new. So rather than replicate the exciting new thing, like you said, like, why would my audience find that interesting mm. or something in that world interesting? What is our version of that? Yeah. And then understanding like, okay, if that is our version of that, does that align with our brand values? Mm -hmm. Because if you have a brand, let's say your your brand is an association that helps people who care for elders. Yeah. Being snarky probably is not the route to go, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. be, you want to be respectful. Yeah. You want to be very The okay mindful. boomer approach isn't going to well, help you all that 100% well. yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So like, yes, exactly. I think you said it super well. Just like understanding why that does or does not matter to my audience. Yeah, for sure. Well, Gabe, this has been great. I really have enjoyed the opportunity to work with you. Looking forward to doing more of that in the future. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us here today. For sure. And I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again. And thanks to everybody who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We will be back next time with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then.